and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. We hope today, as you listen to this week's content, that you grow in your faith and in your relationship with God. Connect more with us by going to ardmoresummit.church and remember to love God, love people, and love life. I'm really thankful to be here. How many of you have enjoyed this series on biblical worship, Magnify? I have really, really enjoyed this series. I've loved it. I've loved everything that has been about it. It's been really challenging for me. It's helped me grow. It's, it's kept me in. I've really loved uh, learning about biblical worship. And we talked uh, three weeks ago, we were talking in week one about what is biblical worship. And before we could even really kind of get into the meat of that, we had to lay the foundation of uh, biblical worship, and we understood that true worshipers that Jesus calls us to be is, is to do what? We're to worship in spirit and truth, and we took a deep dive into that. We talked about the posture, like when we come and, and when we worship, it's not just a physical thing that we're doing, that the posture is the outward expression of an inward reality, of what's happening inside, what God is doing in you. We express it through physical expression sometimes, and, but the truth is, is we have to be in spirit and truth. We looked at biblical worship being God-focused. It's all about Him, God-centered, God-exalted. It's everything. He's the priority. He's the only reason. And we got to see that lived out from an individual in the Bible who we would have never thought would have showed us that when we looked at how the Bible describes her as a sinful woman. This woman is drawn to Jesus. She shows her extravagant worship by laying down before him and crying tears on his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. And we saw this and it just looked foolish to the Pharisee. But we saw that she was God-focused, God-centered, God-exalted, and man, it changed her life. It says, she, it says that she was so thankful from the forgiveness of her sins. He said, your sins are forgiven. This is amazing. Amazing that we saw this woman show us that. Going into week two, extravagant worship. Pastor brought the message last week, and we saw that extravagant worship, when we do that, um, we have to disregard the cost. It's going to draw criticism, but it deeply moves the Lord, and it directs us to the cross. Amen? If you remember that from last week, that's just, that is extravagant worship. We saw, which is really cool, um, very similar events in the Bible of looking at week one with the sinful woman. Week two, we see something very, you put these two scriptures side by side, you would think they're the same story, but they're totally different with Mary. Last week, a student of Jesus sitting at Jesus' feet and pouring out the alabaster uh, jar to, to Jesus. And everyone thought, what are you doing? It was extravagant. Disregards the cost. It drew criticism, no doubt. But when we extravagantly worship Him, we have to move it all aside. It's all about Him. We're focused on Him. Hopefully, hopefully, we have done a, a good job this month of walking you through biblical worship. Biblical worship is to magnify the Lord. And what we talked about is magnifying doesn't necessarily take something in to enlarge it. 
Really what it does is it focuses in on that. It zooms in on whatever it is that you're magnifying. And, in, and to the eye, it seems like it has been enlarged, but you're so focused. You take a magnifying glass and you hover it over these words. It looks like it's made it bigger, but really what it is, it's so focused and centered in on the word that it's all you can see. And that is what we want to do when we come to magnify he is the priority. Everything about him. Everything else is pushed out of the way. We don't care about anything else but God in that moment. Amen? And so I want to talk with you as we close this series out on biblical worship. I want to talk to you about why we worship. Why we worship. There's a million reasons why we worship. I shared with this in huddle with the team before service. I said, obviously, we could simply say we worship because it's Jesus. Come on, he's the Lord. He's the Savior. Look, he redeemed us. He's worthy of it. We could, all, we could all sit here and shout amen and agree on that and clap our hands and go on about this place. And that's great. It's a good word. And it is the truth. It is a correct answer. But I also feel like there's a lot more to our worship. And please understand where I'm trying to come from in this. I think there's more to our worship than just giving him praise. That is important. That is why we do it. But if we claim, we say this all the time, if you want to have a personal relationship with God, if we claim that the God that we worship and serve is a very relational, personal type God, then we can't help by the fact that if we do praise him, there's going to be some natural byproduct from our praise to him. There's going to be some natural uh, blessings that come from our worship. When we worship, it's kind of like a vertical thing. If you understand, you understand vertical and horizontal. When we worship, it's a vertical worship. We're here, we're focusing on God and the blessings. We've heard this phrase sometimes, praises go up, blessings come down. I'm not trying to get into all that. What I'm saying is as we focus on him, man, he's blessing us, he's honoring us, he's, he's moving us, he's encouraging us, he's lifting us up. It's more of a vertical thing. I don't feel like that's all that there is because... I think that when you worship, shouldn't you feel different? In my opinion, shouldn't you feel different? Shouldn't things be a little bit different in your life? That, man, I just came and I just worshiped God. I just worshiped the living God. And if I, if I walked in church just like this and I want to walk out not the same way, what is the reasons why we worship? There's a lot. I want to get into three of them real quick. So if you have your outline to get ready to write these things down, we're going to, we're going to jump right in. Reasons why we worship, number one, is this. Worship draws unbelievers to Jesus. Worship draws unbelievers to Jesus. Just as I talked about this vertical dimension to worship, there's also a horizontal one as well. David said in Psalm 40, verse 3, it's not up on the screen, but he said this, Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Amen? And so really what he's saying is many will see and know God's presence. They'll be moved, they'll have revere and all by him, and they'll find security in the Lord. Many people saw David worshiping. Could we not agree on that? When they saw David worshiping, not only did they just hear him, they witnessed it, and those same people were able to have the same experience that he was having and find the same security that he had. David was a witness. His praise was a witness. His praise was a witness. And, and, and listen, 
When we worship God, it draws people in. No matter how many times you might think that this is not the case, unbelievers want what you have. Unbelievers want what you have. They might say that they don't, but I promise you, they continue to see you worship, praise, trust, live out your faith. People are drawn to that. William Booth, he's the founder of the Salvation Army. He said, if a church was on fire for God, people for miles would come and watch it burn. Isn't that crazy? And if the people of God would be so on fire for God, people will come. Lost people will come to God like a moth into flames. If we truly worship God in spirit, in truth, extravagantly, people will come. People will want what you have. God's presence moves and it changes hearts and changes lives. How many of y'all ever remember those old school tent revivals? Come on, somebody. Hey, by show of hand, who's all went to a tent revival? Hey, I can say I have. I, I truly have. I've been able to attend a tent revival, man, and I've been to a lot of revivals. Man, those revivals were so full of just extravagant worship, exuberant worship. They were, you had people that were in there that were testifying. You had fiery preaching, right? Come on, y'all remember it, man. It would be so wild in those tent revivals. And what would usually be a byproduct in that service? People at the end of the service would come to an altar. They would give their lives to Christ, right? And it, man, I mean, I mean just, it would just break out. And I've heard a lot of, I'm going to use the right term. I don't want to offend anybody. I, I, I've heard of a lot of old school throwback individuals say, man, we just, we just need to have revivals again. We just need to start having revivals again. And really, what I would say is not necessarily do we need to have a revival. I would suggest that what we need is, is the power of the worship that attracts people to the Savior. That's what we need. Y'all have heard me say time and time again, revival is not a date and a calendar. Revival is lived out into your life on a daily basis. Worship draws unbelievers to Jesus. Why do we worship? We worship him because he's deserving of it. But when you worship, people see it. And when you worship, you're encouraging the people next to you. When you worship, it's, 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 it's strengthening somebody else's faith. When you worship, it's helping the atmosphere. When you worship, it draws unbelievers to Jesus. Number two, reasons why we worship is worship sends believers into the world. Why do we worship? Worship sends believers. So if you claim to be a believer, it sends you into the world. The Great Commission. We all know the Great Commission. It's the church's heartbeat for existence. It informs individual believers to, to go in from the church and to go out and to tell people about Jesus. For crying out loud, I've got it tatted on my arm. I mean, this is the heartbeat of who we are, this Great Commission. But I want you to check something out. I want you to notice something, if you would. I, I don't have any scriptures up on the screen, so hopefully you're following along in the Bible app or you have your Bible. But listen to this. In Matthew chapter 28, I want to read the Great Commission to you. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee and to the mountains to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, him being Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that they have commanded you, that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Great Commission. If you notice, the context in which this command was given was what? It was a worship encounter. Think about it. It's a worship encounter. It says the Great Commission was following a time of worship. The disciples saw Jesus and worshiped him and then responded. That is what we're supposed to do. Please understand when we come to church, it's not, and you've heard me say in huddle, you've heard me say in prayer nights, we do not want to be a church that is just consumers. We want to consume God's word. We want to be filled up, but we want to contribute to God's work. The disciples saw Jesus, worshiped him, received a command, and responded to it. Worship sends the believers into the world. I'm going to give you a couple more examples of this. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, we get to see Isaiah's vision of the Lord. Listen to this. If you've never read this, I want you to listen to Isaiah's vision of the Lord. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Get this picture in your mind. This is amazing. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Listen to this, verse 4. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, oh, I love this. I love this. Listen. Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes, listen to this. If we're talking about magnify. We're talking about focusing and centering our attention on God. Listen to what Isaiah says. He says, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Isaiah has this encounter with the Lord of Lords, the King of, of all kings. He sees it, and he, I love this. This is a great picture of week one of biblical worship. He says, I am unclean. I'm not even worthy. I'm not worthy. I dwell in the midst of unclean people. I, I can't do this. And what does God do? He says, your sins atone for. I've got you in the palm of my hand. Now, who will go for me? Go. We don't have to. Look, we are not the Pharisee Simon in week one where we sit back and scoff and go, what is this woman doing? This woman is doing exactly what Isaiah is doing. She's understanding. I'm in the presence of King Jesus. I don't even deserve to be here. But he says, hey, go sin no more. Who will go for me? Isaiah said, send me worship, draw sins, believers into 
the world. If he had not entered worship, he could have missed the calling of God on his life. So let me just add this. I encourage you, go all out and worship. It's not a 15-minute part of a service called worship where we just listen to some songs. You're going to hear the word preached. That's, so, that's the most important thing. You will hear the word preached from this church, and you will be equipped to go and do the work of the kingdom. You will. But I believe you'll get about 95% of all the equipping that you should have uh, or, or you'll get if you don't engage in worship. Because it was in worship that Isaiah was sent. It was in worship that the disciples understood. I encourage you, if you worship, let him fully equip you for the works that he's calling you to do. One last example, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Man, this is like a Pentecostals like life verse right here, amen? Anything in Acts chapter 2, it's good, isn't it, Jim? It's good stuff. Listen to this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. I think we're all here in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Please don't think that this is a, I'm not trying to equip, trying to teach you on like the baptism of the Holy Spirit right now. I'm not doing that. But I do want you to see the power that comes when you let His Spirit rest upon you. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And listen, verse 6. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And listen, this is so important. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? Tongues isn't just for us just to walk around and, and just shout and hooler and holler. There was a meaning to this. There was some purpose. They were accidentally, really, evangelizing. It says, if you go on down, it says, We hear them telling in our tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, This is, this is wild. How do we hear this? Worship sends believers into the world. On that day of Pentecost, it was the eternal sound of worship that invaded that upper room. And we see here that the result of this, many put their trust in the Lord. 3,000 at least. You read that. At least 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. Worship sends believers into the world. How do we worship? Lastly, number three, as we're getting ready to close this thing out. Worship calls believers to be holy. Right, we have fun with point one and point two. Oh, yeah. Send them in. Send them in. Send them in. Send us. Send me. Worship calls us to be holy. And that's wild to think because did we, wait, did we not just talk about the sinful woman? Did we not just hear Isaiah talking about like, hey, I'm unclean. I, I'm a man of unclean. Like, how, wait, I'm confused. What do you mean? Calls us to be holy. How are we supposed to be? You just told us we don't want to be like Simon the Pharisee. What exactly are you saying to this? Here's, let me, let me explain. You can't look at God without seeing his holiness 
You can't look at God without seeing His wrath against sin. You can't look at God and not see His opposition to injustice and His righteous judgment of the wicked. You can't look at God and not see that at all. Let's go. Who's going to win? Who's going to win? I love it. It's good stuff. You can't look at God and not see that about God. Amen? But right here, the things that I just described is not very popular. And I'll tell you this, it's not very seeker sensitive to think about a, a righteous God and a, a one who hates sin. He's opposed to this and this. He's righteous in the wicked, uh, uh, of, uh, of the judgment of the wicked. It's not popular. But the more that this is the truth, this is the God that we worship. This is the God you worship. And the more you claim to love God and worship Him, the more we must hate sin and its manifestation in our own lives. If this is the case, if we come together, this is why it, it, it really, I don't want to get on a rant here, but this is why it really bothers me to see people that will, I, I want everyone to worship, but we're to be different. It's to change us. You look at this woman who sinned in week one, go. She's forgiven of her sins. She loves much. She's different. Isaiah, who's gonna, who will send, I, send me? I'll go. I'll be different. You look at count and count again in Scripture. You see these people who will turn from sin and go, Paul, for crying out loud. We're called to be different. If God wasn't fiercely opposed to evil in every form, including our sin, he would not deserve our worship. He would not be good. And he would not be God. Think about it. If we claim to bear his name and worship him, then we're called to be holy like him. 1 Peter 1, 16 says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Worship calls us to be holy. Now, how do we do that? Really quickly. What do you mean that I have to, how am I supposed to do? I am not saying to you, church, that you are to walk around looking down upon people with your head held high thinking you're somebody. You don't get to walk around and scoff at people. You don't get to do those things. What I'm asking you to do, what I'm challenging you to do is simply this. Jesus said, pick up your cross daily. Die to yourself daily it's a daily decision to pick up this weight it's a it is sort of a weight of saying i choose you today make me better today quit trying to figure out tomorrow one day at a time be holy choose righteousness each and every day he'll give you exactly what you need to get through he'll help you through it lean on him let his holy spirit lead you and guide you through it so why do we worship? Draws, it draws the unbelievers to Jesus. It sends us into the world and it calls us to be holy. And when we put those three together, among many other things that we couldn't get into this, this, this morning and this month, man, we'll be unstoppable. The church of God will be unstoppable. I hope you have enjoyed this series. I hope you've loved it. I hope you have grown from it. I encourage you, dig into these notes from the previous weeks and continue to remember it.
Hey, thanks again for listening to the Summit Church Podcast. We hope today you enjoyed the content and what God was speaking to you today. Again, we'd love to connect with you more by going to ardmoresummit.church. Join us Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. in Ardmore, Oklahoma at 1725 North Commerce Street. Take care and be blessed.